Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe's Luxurious Corner Booth. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting here in that luxurious corner booth in France. And it's always beautiful to be here, Robert, on pilgrimage with the Order of Malta. It's always a great time. It sure is. Drinking this cup of coffee and about to eat a T-Napo Belgian chocolate, whatever that is, Deacon. Well, don't try to pronounce it. Just eat it. That's that's what I've discovered about uh, French food. uh, It's good. Different. not helping my waistline, but it is helping my attitude. And speaking of good attitudes, we have a great... I like (laughs) good transitions. (laughs) We have... Father Richard Mullins, and he's from St. Paul Mission in Hague, Virginia. Another person we just kind of met along the pilgrimage here. Uh, all kinds of interesting stuff to talk about. Father Mullins, thank you so much for joining us here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Bonjour. Yeah, exactly. It's nice to be here with you in, in beautiful Lourdes. It's a sunny day here. Well, it's beautiful. You know, okay, so we're here in Lourdes, and we've had all kinds of different stories, different programs we've done so far. This one, we're going to leap off and go into a different direction here. We're going to talk about prison ministry. Which you don't usually associate with Lourdes, Father. Not, no, you don't, because the prisoners can't come here. That's right. <laughs> now, you, you, you are very involved or are very active in prison ministry, and I think a lot of it is because you, you felt called to that, maybe because of the many years you spent in prison, perhaps. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I did several years in, in, uh, in grade school and high school, but yeah, that's uh, like a no actual years in prison. No, no I just, I just, you have a, you have, but you have a great love for for prison ministry. I do. You know, and that love came to me through the Order of Malta, really. Really? And uh, they had a program where they were distributing information to prisoners. And I heard about it, and I thought, well, that's really neat. And shortly thereafter, I was transferred to a, a mission in Virginia that has a prison, a work camp, and a jail. And all of those three are very different, but I have Mass every Tuesday night in English for the prisoners at Haynesville Correctional Institute. So if any of them are listening, shout out to them. Well, shout again. out to okay. the boys. And uh, then also we have Camp 17, which is a work unit. Those are the guys who work on the side of the road. And a regional jail, which is usually the short-timers that are there being held for whatever reason. But... It's a great opportunity for evangelization because you have a captive audience. Yeah, there you go. Now, uh, let me, but let me ask you, what, what is the drive or the, the draw for you to, the, to this ministry? There was a part of me that was a little scared of going into a prison because you think here are these hardened criminals and maybe they're going to be difficult or threatening and we see images on TV and it wasn't at all what I expected. Really? But... And one of the things that really struck me was when someone told me that just about every apostle, except for John, spent time in prison. And there's a wonderful scene in the Acts of the Apostles where the apostles do a prison break. Well, I I don't encourage that (laughs) with with the gentleman at at the correctional facility uh, where I serve. But we, we certainly see them. We certainly see the apostles incarcerated by the state as right. well. Now, those were political and religious prison uh, prison type situations, whereas ours is a correctional institution and people are paying for the crimes right. that they've committed 
But if the angel of the Lord did break their chains, I mean, I, that would be a sign, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, absolutely, and I'd be happy to see them. And you know, there is rehabilitation that goes mm-hmm. on, and there are opportunities for people to come back into society. But very often, you find them at a place where they are really searching for Christ. And you see people who come to you. There are generally three types of people that participate in the uh, in the English-speaking Mass. We also have a Spanish Mass on alternate Fridays at Haynesville. But there are a couple. There are three types of people, and, and the first type are the ones that they're they're baptized Catholic. They've always been Catholic. They love the church. They just found themselves in this situation. Right. Then you have the second type, and they're the ones that perhaps they were raised Catholic, and when they find themselves in prison and they're looking for comfort, then they realize that Christ is still there. He's still there through the darkness, through the problems, through their trials, through everything that they've had to face. And then you have the people who are perhaps agnostic, but they're searching. They want to find something. Or maybe they were raised in another faith, but they're looking. They're looking for Christ. I imagine prison is a lot like anything in life in terms of there are things that will cause you to start searching. A lot of times there'll be tragedy. There'll be some kind of... You know, whether it's a disaster or financial problems and suddenly you lose your home. And, and he, these men have lost their freedom by their own doing, probably. But the situation is still a time for them to start searching and, and looking. Definitely. And, you know, in the prison community, there are those that are there because they premeditated a crime and they wanted to hurt someone or they wanted to steal or they planned a robbery. There are others who are accidental criminals, I call them, because they had one too many drinks and they ended up killing someone. Right. But they are ordinary men mm-hmm. and fathers and husbands who just one day were driving down the road with a blood alcohol level that was over the top. They were not able to maintain control of their right. vehicle. They shouldn't have gone into that car and they ended up taking a life. Or they ended up causing some serious destruction, and so they have to be there and pay for their crimes. And some of them are just so profoundly remorseful, and they they love that confession time that we have after mass. We have we have confession. We have to have mass first, and we have confession after mass. Right. And then at the same time that I'm hearing confessions, there's somebody else who's teaching CCD or teaching religious education right. to them. But it's profound to see the way that their spirituality develops. And as guys are there over time, they are able to really develop these powerful prayer lives. There's one gentleman there who has developed this powerful Carmelite spirituality because he realizes that the situation that he's in really has adapted itself to sort of the... A monastic life. The monastic life and the dark night of the soul. In fact, if you think about it, Father, I mean, I do a lot of prison work as a lawyer. The word cell actually comes from the word chale for heaven so i mean i mean not i don't want to call prison heaven but the point is is that because monastic people live in cells that that you can teach them to uh kind of adapt their life and see it as sort of a way to to grow in holiness while they're there there is profound opportunity to grow in holiness and they are always asking me for books they're the prayer books that we give them from the order of malta they absolutely love that they cling to those Mm -hmm. their bibles 
And just to tell you how well-loved these Bibles are, that we got a shipment of Bibles, and I gave them to a group of new new, uh, prisoners. And the next week I came, and one guy said, well, you know, there's 10 pages missing from Judges. (laughs) And I thought, oh, that's good. You're reading your Bible. I'm sorry that there are 10 pages missing. But that whole run of Bibles had 10 pages missing. In other words, they found an error simply. Exactly. So that we meant they were actually using them. them. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, that's, that's amazing. You know, it's interesting, though, that I think from a societal point of view, let's, let's go back outside the prison for a second, and let's talk about what most people think. It's very easy for us, isn't it, as a society to sort of cast people off. Once they've made the whatever the fatal mistake, whatever bad, they've gone over that, crossed over that line, it's so easy for us to cast them aside, isn't it, to put them in a prison, to lock them away, and to maybe uh, wipe them from our uh, very existence. And yet those were exactly the people that Jesus tried to reach in the beginning of his ministry. I was in prison, and you visited me. Yeah. He was very clear, and I tell that to the gentleman. And, you know, I mean, they immediately perk up. Because the visits mean so much, whether it's from their family members, and many of them have families that live far away. It is such a difficulty for their families just to come visit in the best of circumstances because the searches are very humiliating that their wives have to undergo and their children, and they have to see them there incarcerated, and they have to talk to them in their their prison garb, and it's a very difficult Well, the whole experience can be so... So humiliating, just yes. on theirs as well, and That's in right. fact, in some cases, I mean, their, their dignity yeah. is actually stripped from them. And this yes. idea that Jesus loves them gives them that sense of dignity again, doesn't it? And it, it is very important to try and remind the people in the general parish: you know, these are children made in the image and likeness of God, and loved by Him, and dreamed into existence by Him. And have you had baptisms of uh, conversions? Had baptisms. Prison? We're going to have a, a round of confirmations very soon. One of the things that you find is that they're so unashamed in their belief and that they really learn to love the faith and they spread it to other inmates and they bring other people with them to Mass, at least to come and see and to try it out and to see what it's about. So you see that kind of evangelical zeal reaching out and emanating from the Mass and you just see the power of the Holy Eucharist working through these prisoners to change their lives. And they're not fraught with any of the worries that we have. You know, in, in Sunday Mass, maybe people won't want to kneel for communion because they'll, they're afraid of what it'll do to the communion line. If these guys physically can kneel, if they're not walking on a cane, they will kneel. They drop to their knees on a concrete floor to receive Jesus. And you see the look as they open their mouths, and you, you see them focusing on the Eucharist. And they're not afraid to ask me for things. Like one of them asked if we could have bells at Mass. Really? Yes, in the prison? In the prison. Another, so we were able to get bells approved. Everything has to go through right. the warden and be approved. Every piece of paper, anything that you give oh, has to be approved. Is it difficult? Do you have a hard time getting in to celebrate Mass and to see the prisoners? And Getting in to celebrate Mass is not difficult. If there's something unusual, like I asked for these electric candles. Because they asked me for candles. They said, well, Father, we don't have candles on the altar. Well, they won't let me have an open flame, but we found these sort of Christmas candles that look like real candles. They sort of, like, flicker a little Uh bit. And so we turned off the lights, and so the the guys could see the candles. But trying to get those approved was a bit of a challenge. And 
uh, with, with some of the other things that we bring in. I, I brought in, they wanted a standing crucifix for the altar, as, of course, we're supposed to have that crucifix on the altar. They wanted one that was standing, that they could see, that they could physically see. And so that took some permission because the authorities were a little bit afraid that it might be used for a weapon or that could be taken out of the chaplain's office or something like that. But we haven't had any what's problems. So, with what's so beautiful that. is that, that they're requesting this stuff. Well, the most beautiful request that I've had, I have to tell you, is when I did the consecration and I held up the Blessed Sacrament and then went on with Mass. And after Mass, they had sent this little deputation of prisoners to come and see me. Three of them came to see me and said, Father, well, you know, we, we don't want to tell you how to say that your Mass, but during the consecration, when you elevate the host, if you could just elevate it a little bit longer, because it is the only time that we get to see Jesus. Wow. Amen. That is beautiful. In fact, what's amazing about that is I'm, I know there are probably times you think, I wish ordinary Catholics might have that same love and desire for Holy Mass, the Eucharist, and all things Catholic. Yes. And these, because of their living situation, that, that they live in sort of a barracks environment. They live in an environment where they're all in bunk beds in a huge room together, that they have learned to focus. And because of that, they are so focused on the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And they are so attentive to every word. And they are so desirous of doing everything correctly and having that encounter with the Lord. And they take nothing for granted. And they, they love Holy Communion. They want to be in a state of grace when they come and receive our Lord. They want to do it properly. They, they kneel down and they open their mouths and they receive him with profound love and affection. And it's powerful to see them. And you see the core group that we have and you see how that emanates to others. Perhaps a, a new inmate will come in who uh, has been away to the, from the church, and he comes to confession, it, it, then he uh, uh, comes to Mass and receives Holy Communion, and he kind of watches and sees what the other yeah. ones do. So you see the you, you see the power of that. That's beautiful. That's great. We have more to talk about. We're going to take a break real quick. Uh, we're going to come right back with, with Father Richard Mullins, and we're going to talk more about prison ministry, maybe some stories about uh, experiences he's had, and we're going to do that right after this break. We'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. How can someone so small and weak in the eyes of the world have such a tremendous impact on the spiritual lives of millions around the globe? St. Therese of Lisieux, better known as the Little Flower, was this small person. Born in France over a century ago, she has changed the spiritual landscape of the entire world. St. Therese believed that little things done with great love were more pleasing to God than the mightiest deeds. She wrote, Love proves itself by deeds, so how am I to show my love? Great deeds are forbidden me. The only way I can prove my love is by scattering little flowers. And these flowers are every little sacrifice, every glance and word, and the doing of the least action for love. The little flower grew up as the youngest of five living children. She was a sensitive child who felt things deeply. 
These deep feelings and her thoughtful attitude led her to a strong prayer life at a very young age. By her own account, she would find a quiet place and spend hours contemplating the love of the Heavenly Father. As Therese entered her teen years, her older sisters began to go into religious life. This led the little flower to seek entrance to the Carmelite Monastery at the tender age of 14. She was initially refused by the superiors of the order, but her persistence paid off by taking her appeal all the way to the Pope in Rome. The superiors of the order were impressed by her persistence and maturity and allowed her to enter the Carmelite order at the age of 15. The next nine years were spent in quiet contemplation and service inside the tiny convent in Lisieux. Toward the end of her time in the convent, she began to suffer from the effects of tuberculosis. Tuberculosis, a deadly infectious disease that attacks the lungs, leaves the sufferer with a chronic cough, fever, night sweats, and weight loss. St. Therese suffered seriously from this disease. She was reported to have said, I have reached the point of not being able to suffer anymore because all suffering is sweet to me. She accepted her affliction as a gift from God and saw it as a sign of his friendship with her. Little everyday things done in great love can lead us to a life of grace and deeper union with Christ. The little flower can show us the way. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the French Catholic Cafe. We got Father Richard Mullins here, and we're talking all things prison right now. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Yeah, and he's uh, he's sort of trapped in prison here with us in the studio. Not at in all. The cafe. Uh, no, it's it's yeah. You had your uh, your cafe au lait. Was I it insisted. Good? Well, I thought because it is the Catholic Cafe, the only reason I'm here is for the cafe. It's not for the love of God and church. Well, that it's too. <laughs> this is part coffee and caffeine are an in- integral part of the new evangelization. Amen, brother. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate that, Father, and we appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Uh, so now we want to continue on our discussion. And one of the things I was remarking as you were talking about in our first segment, just how much the the prisoners themselves instigated this relationship, who, who, who wanted to have more and learn more and grow. And it's amazing how much as I was listening, how much I felt like I could actually learn from them. And so often, again, when we cast people off, we think that they have no value. And yet, I know that they've probably helped you, yourself, and your own spiritual life grow. They really have. And several of them have asked me for material to be able to defend faith. And they want to be able to respond to, say, a Jehovah's Witness, uh, which is, of course, a, a group of people that have a preset set of questions that are deliberately phrased to undermine a Catholic's belief. And so we have materials that we have for people like that. Uh, We have materials for people who uh, are just looking to give some preliminary Catholic information to those who are interested in faith. We have requests for information about the lives of the saints. And so I read all that before I give it to them. Right. And it really is enriching. And but don't they all? They also want to get like more involved in the mass and do and do more. They right? really do. They all want to. They all take turns and read. The one thing, the one thing that uh, I know, the re- the way that I know that they're uh, that, that they're cradle Catholics is 
is they they're ashamed to, they're a little bit embarrassed to sing so i can't get them to sing <laughs> once i get them to sing then we will be rocking and rolling i think that happens at, at a catholic baptism your your yeah. desire to sing is somehow erased i don't know how exactly. that works exactly exactly but they they've asked me for as i mentioned they asked me for bells they've asked me for candles now we have those and uh, next they've they've asked for patents which may be a little bit harder to explain to right. the authorities because they're basically large round pieces of metal. But in the Diocese of Arlington, it's very common that we use the patents. For uh, our listeners who don't know what they are, a patent is something that you put under your chin that's held usually right. by the altar boy, and then uh, no particles of our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament fall on the floor. Right. So the uh, so the the gentlemen at the prison. I hate to call them prisoners. I hate to call right. them I understand that. The gentlemen that I, I can't call them guests. Yeah. <laughs> the guys. But the guys. The guy, thank you. The guys have asked me for um, have asked me for patents. So that's probably next. And I'd like to train a couple of them uh, or a rotating team of them to be altar servers. They, uh, they they love to come in and set everything up and they have a certain protocol and they know exactly how everything is to be set up for the mass. And they're always asking me about how you set up one thing or another, how to set up the sacramentary right. and so forth. So, um, uh, Deacon, if, if you ever come join me in, in that prison mass, uh, you're going to be out of a job because they, 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 they want to do, do all it. of that stuff. Yeah. Maybe we could have a couple of prison deacons. I mean, they could, they could become deacons. <laughs> there right? you go. Uh, maybe that, there'll be some canonical uh, issues there. But the desire is what's amazing to me. That That's desire right. that you, you can see that heartfelt. You know, we see that every once in a while we're amazed when our, when our kids say something where we go, wow, did that come out of your mouth? I mean, I didn't know that you were obviously listening. And in this situation, again, we, we, prisoners, we, we tend to cast off. And here, these guys are, they're human, right? And they're, they've got this great desire for human. God. They are fully human and imbued with the soul that God gave them. And you, very often, you see that soul shining through. Absolutely. And when you think of what they could be doing, sure. that, that they come to Mass during what's called their rec time, their recreation time. So they could be, it's their time out in the yard. They could be out playing basketball. They could be out walking around if it's a nice day. But where are they? They are there with our Lord in the Mass, in this classroom that we've sort of transformed into a little chapel. But they're there in the Blessed Sacrament because they want to be there. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. Now, do you have any uh, experience? I'll probably have lots of experience with these guys. But can you share anything with us that might have happened? Or? Well, there, there's one gentleman who's really grown in his faith as a, a devotee of Carmelite spirituality, and it's so profound to sit there and. Oh, this is, now, this is a man in prison. Yes, who who now has has become a a Carmelite follower. I'm a little embarrassed because sometimes I feel like I'm getting spiritual direction from him, <laughs> <laughs> and but but he really is wise, and he is a man who committed a, a pretty atrocious crime. It was a victimless crime, but it was an atrocious crime, and. He found himself, he he was uh, a gentleman who had a very privileged position in a university and found himself in in prison and took the kernel of his Catholic faith, nurtured it, watered it, and it has blossomed beautifully. And so I go in there and he's telling me about how this poem of St. John of the Cross and that poem and, and... 
he'll say, well, what does this mean to you? Because to me, it's saying whatever. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so incredible. Right. I think that St. John of the Cross is smiling in heaven <laughs> that these words have touched other people so profoundly. But in him, in this gentleman, I've seen this not just a conversion to the faith, but a profound and deepening spirituality that has blossomed. And again, there's other things that they could be doing. They could be gathered in their little community room and watching right. game shows on TV, but they're not doing that. And he's not doing that. He's reading, and they're reading about the faith. And every book that I bring in, they read and they pass around. And the diocesan newspaper, they read and they pass around. And we bring in, we've started to bring in newspapers from the Archdiocese of Washington which has really excellent one. I'm in the Diocese of Arlington, Virginia. Hello, Bishop Laverde, if you're out there. I love you. Uh, we have the Diocese of Richmond. Uh, we bring in their newspaper because these gentlemen are just hungry for it, and they want to know what the church is doing. Right. And they, they will talk about you know, what, what the church is, um, you know, what, what is going on for this, or how are we mobilizing when last year we had some election Issues. They wanted to know how the church was mobilizing to defend our religious freedoms. And I thought that was incredible, incredible. And they were all fascinated with the Holy Father and uh, with the resignation of Pope Benedict and the, uh, and the election of Pope Francis, that all of that, that they wanted to know every single detail. And they're, they're hungry. So while I was here, I picked up books for them well, uh, on, on the new pope. Yeah. Yes, on okay. the new pope. And so forth, and they all wanted different uh, holy cards and and so forth. But uh, well, you know that just yeah. that gives me hope. I hear that, and this is stuff I didn't know. And it's amazing how much hope can come out of a place of seemingly no hope. Let and me it, tell you something that gave me hope from one of these gentlemen who was released, and he had a bad addiction to alcohol that, that led him to commit a crime, and. He was released, and he said, I've tried all sorts of programs. I've been in addiction therapies all of my life. The only thing that helps me is that Mass, and I would not be a Catholic now if I had not had Mass in that prison. Amen. That brought me back, and that has stopped me. That has stopped me from picking up the bottle. And so we look at that, and we, we really see, again, the power of the sacraments of Jesus coming into those prison walls under the appearance of bread and of wine and transforming lives. You know, it, it's, what a blessing. It's the road to Emmaus in that prison. It's They know him in the breaking of the bread. Father Mullins, thank you so much for sharing that. Open our eyes to what is behind closed doors that we don't get to see. Thank you so much for sharing that with and us. And I hope that you, that you never have to see from the, uh, from the inside out we unless don't you come to help me at Mass. Thank you so much. Keep praying. God bless on, you. On Take care. Visit. Nice to be with you. All right. Awesome. Let's, uh, let's ask Our Lady, while we're here in Lourdes, to, uh, to, to intercede on our behalf and on behalf of all the prisoners out there. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, my women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. 
The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. <laughs>